pastor in public school, and I've been involved in campus ministry for the past 30 years. Um, I'm thrilled to be here. All the guys and gals I've met so far have been wonderful. I've uh, fallen in love with Jackie, he's one of our part-time workers. I'm working on loving Kevin, your pastor. I know he's a great guy. He has a very teachable spirit, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, we've come here to help. We are not coming to dictate. We haven't come here to be the big CEO of whatever big corporation. I have come as a minister to walk alongside our other ministers. We want to be a brother to you, Kevin, and I want to support you. I want to support Burke Memorial any way we can to make this a kingdom-loving church. Amen? What we're going to do today is, I don't know what Kevin does up here. I hope he preaches. But um, I've had people say, I really enjoyed that whatever you did up there. So some people say it's like teaching. Some people say it's a sermon. Some say it's entertainment. Just put them all together. And I hope you come away with something that you can use. I'm not interested in you thinking I'm a wonderful speaker or getting inspired. I'm interested in you taking away something you can use for the rest of your life to the glory of God. So that's what we're about today. We're going to share with you today. What I want to do this morning is I want to give you basically a diagnostic. Since I'm a doctor now, I need to give you a diagnostic test. To let you see, as an individual follower of Christ, and as Burke Memorial as a church, how are we doing? That's basically what we're going to do. You get to give yourself the grade. I'm not about to do that. This is my first chance and maybe my last chance to be with you guys. We'll see what happens. Um, but we're going to have a diagnostic this morning. Basically, to look at the Christian life, what's it all about, and how do I stack up? Secondly, tonight... Bring your Bibles tonight for sure, because we're going to go basically from Genesis to Acts 15 in about 30 minutes. I promise you. And we're going to look at, and I'm going to go ahead and tell them right now what it's going to be about, Kevin. I was going to keep it a secret, but we're going to talk about the biblical basis of change. Just get ready, folks. Bring your steel-toed boots tonight and just get ready. We're going to look at how change is God's way of dealing with us. It's really the only constant in this world is change. So we're looking at how do we deal with that as kingdom citizens tonight. But right now, we're going to look at the scripture in a very new way. Let's see. The first words in my Bible, and I think in yours, besides the Holy Bible, it says what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're all agreement in that, I think. We're all okay with that? Good. That word Genesis in Hebrew basically means beginnings. So in the beginning, or if you're a Texas Ranger fan like I am in the big inning. Are y'all with me today? Just wake up, folks, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Sorry. I don't, taste, I don't stay serious too long. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, let's take that back one step logically. Before there was creation, the only thing there was was God. Good. This is a Baptist church. You can answer everything with God, Jesus, or the Bible, right? Okay. So before there was creation, there was God. And I'm proposing to you today for our sermon for today. Before there was creation, there was community. Now listen very carefully to that. Before there was creation, there was community. Within the triune God, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost, okay? Before there was creation, God in his fathership, his sonship, and his spiritship lived in this perfect community of harmony, 
For how long? We have no idea because it was before time began. When, if you see in Psalm 33, it says that God spoke and the world were formed. So when God spoke, what you see out here, what we are a part of, creation is but the faint echo of the voice of God. Now, if you want some deep thoughts, we're going to have a few of those today. Those kind you go, hmm, okay? So instead of roasting the preacher at lunch today, maybe you can actually talk about some deep thought you had in church. So creation is the faint echo of the voice of God. When he spoke, he not only spoke those worlds into existence, he imparted to it part of his very nature. Because community, folks, expresses the nature of our God. It is at the core of who he is. He is a community. Are you with me on this? If you look at everything we see in creation, go down to the subatomic particles. Remember in grade school when you learned that there were parts of an atom? What were they? Electron, proton, neutron. And then the longer science has gone, they keep going what? They keep going down smaller and smaller and smaller. And isn't it amazing that no matter how small you go, down to the quarks and the mesons and the pisons and all those little pieces, They all operate in community, don't they? It doesn't matter how far down you go. They all operate in this perfect community. And if you expand it from the micro to the macro, and you look at everything out there beyond us in the universe, and you see these solar systems, and you see these galaxies, and you see these intergalactic communities, everything in creation, folks, reflects the nature of, of our God. I think it's fabulous. And how anybody can look at creation and not understand that it was created is beyond me. And I really encourage you to come in October to the Chuck Mathena Center when we put on a three-day seminar called Answers in Genesis. It's going to be October 7, 8, and 9. I really encourage you as a church to come out for that. He's basically going to be looking at those first 11 chapters of Genesis from a scientific standpoint and showing and advocating creation. So I really encourage you to come. So when God spoke us into existence, he imparted to us our need for community. That's why, folks, it's really fascinating to me. Last year, I read read a wonderful book called Social Intelligence. Uh, There are some fun books written by Harvard professors that are okay to read. And in there, they were doing this fascinating new research on our neurons. Those are those little connecting points in your nervous system. And 20% of your neurons in your body or what the scientists call mirror neurons. They are designed to reflect and empathize with somebody or something that happens to someone else. In other words, folks, we are biologically created to relate to each other. That's why in the New Testament you'll find over 150 references to this phrase, one another. We are to live in community. When we live in authentic community the way God created us to do, we honor our Father. Now, let's fast forward. I see the clock back there says 1035. I got a long time to preach, Kevin. (laughs) Um, Let's fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus and the guys are hanging out around this campfire in Matthew 16. 
And they're in Caesarea Philippi, which is up in the northern part of Galilee. And I think they're probably on a retreat. And Jesus says to them, as they're sitting around the fire, Hey guys, what are they saying about me in the village? And I think they probably started laughing. Because you're reading the scriptures. They don't have an idea. They think you're Elijah. They think you're John the Baptist. Come back from the dead. They just think all these crazy things. And I think they're laughing. And Jesus looks at him and says that wonderful line. Who do you say that I am? And God bless Peter, our poster child for ADD. Just blurts out before he knows what he's saying. You are the Christ. The son of of the living God. And I'm glad he said it. And I think the look on their faces was one of incredulity, one of amazement. I think they all realized at the same time, Peter just said what we've all been suspecting. This is not just a talented rabbi. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, thank you, Peter. And upon your Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church. If you look at that word that we translate church, it's the word ekklesia, which means those that are called out. And it means an assembly of those that are called out. Isn't it interesting That when God created the world, he created it in community. When Jesus is creating, literally birthing the church here in Matthew 16, he calls us a term that is well known to these people, ecclesia, as an assembly of the called out ones. He wants us to live in community, folks. Now, he made an allusion to our German background. In German, you will rarely see the word church Translated in the New Testament by the word kirche, which is the one most people over there use nowadays, meaning the building. The word that's translated in my German Bible most of the time is the word gemeinde, which means assembly or congregation. The church, folks, I hope you know this by now, is not made up of these beautiful chandeliers and these lovely walls and this nice carpeted stage. That is not the church. Are you all with me on this? You are the church. In fact, we should quit coming to church and act more like being the church. Amen? So what does it mean to be the community of faith? This generation that I work with for so many years, the millennials, the Gen Xers that are coming up, they have had so much baggage attached to the word Baptist and so much baggage attached to the word church even that a lot of them don't even use that word anymore. They use the term community of faith or faith community. And I'm just going to tell you, I think... That's a good term. I'm I'm comfortable with that. What does it mean to live as the community of faith that our Lord Jesus would want us to be? What does it mean to live as Burke Memorial Baptist Church? I almost put Burke and Belcher Baptist on my time. What does it mean to live as that? Well, I'm glad you asked. And uh, we're going to use this as a diagnostic. I thought we'd use a diagram. If you want to write this down, I encourage you to. It's a, it's a cross. We're going to have a cross. This is an easy way for you to learn this and remember it. If you want it, Kevin is free to give this to you. If you just want to say, hey, Kev, email it to me, and he can. If you want me to email it to you, I will. But I want you to see 
this whole thing. This is the Christian life. What does it mean to live in community? Too many times, folks, our Baptist churches are all about make decisions for Christ. But the command I see in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says for me to do what? I'm to go make decisions for Christ? What does it say? Make disciples, followers, those who walk on a daily basis with my Christ. Not just decisions. I am passionate about our people growing up in Christ. Folks, it's time to grow up. Some of y'all have been in this church for 30, 40, 50 plus years. But if I ask you to stand up in front of any group here and give me an exp- just give, just share with me about the role of the Holy Spirit from Scripture, or why should I be baptized from Scripture, or just share with me about eternal security of the believer from Scripture, some of you would dive into that pew right now. When you came to Christ, you inherited eternal life. Hallelujah. But in John 5, 24, it says that I have passed, I have passed from death into eternal life. I'm not waiting, folks. I'm 60 years old. I am not waiting to start living eternally. I started that the day I came to Jesus. And that you've got to understand that eternal life is not just about quantity. It's about quality. It's an essence. It's a, it's a style. It's a lifestyle that I want to live now. And I want to live to the fullest of the glory for my Christ as I possibly can now. And I want as many other people around me to do the same thing. That's why I've got a whole other sermon on discipleship. I'd love to preach one of these days, but that's not what I came to do today. Okay, get off that, Alan. Okay, okay. Now, in the very middle, just keep, keep going, keep going. Thank you, okay. Okay, this is you. Figuratively, this is not you physically, okay? I'm, I'm not making a comment on your size, okay? This is you. This is the inner you. And in the innermost of your being, when you accepted Christ, he came into your life. Don't we love to use that phrase? Where's Jesus now? He's in my heart. We, I, I, that's a magic phrase. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the, van, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Ich bin der Weinstock, er sei die Reben. Wer mir bleibt und ich in ihm, er bringt viel Frucht, denn ohne mich könnt ihr nichts tun. Amen? <laughs> you gotta take this on faith, folks. Come on. That was John 15, 5. I never really understood as a boy growing up in South Louisiana. I grew up below I-10 in Cajun country. Um, I didn't understand vineyards. Never seen them. Until we moved to Germany. And our house was on a slope, just like it is here. Everything's on a slope in Princeton. When we drove in here in April, we saw this big sign that said, For sale, six flat acres. I knew we were in trouble. <laughs> And uh, so our, our house is on a slope. Well, in Germany, the slope went down into a huge vineyard. And I often took my quiet time walks out there. And so I started understanding this verse better. In German, I really like it better because he says, I, I, Jesus, I am the trunk of the wine. And if you see it, if, you, if you're walking the vineyard, it's okay to walk in vineyards as Baptists. It's okay. Okay. You can walk in the vineyards. There's this little gnarly piece that comes straight out of the ground. This is about as big as it is. That's it. It's ugly. 
There's nothing pretty about it at all. And then out of it shoots, it looks like green, just totally different texture, just sticks out. This vine starts growing and they put a dowel rod or an iron rod in the ground and it grows around that. And then the fruit, the grapes show up on that, not on this. This is the part Jesus said he was. And you're going to get sick of me saying this, but I'm going to keep saying it anyway. Abiding, to abide in him means to be in living, vital connection with him. Do most of you use KJV in here? I don't know. KJV? Help help, talk to me, folks. How many of y'all use the King James Version? Let me see. Okay. How many of you use NIV? Okay. New American Standard? Just want to see what I got. Okay. Okay. That word in the NIV is remains. That word in the King James is abideth. It means to live, be in living, vital connection with him. As long as I am in connection with him, and I'm not talking about eternal security, get off that, okay? As, when we are in connection with him, his life flows through us, and we produce the fruit because his life is flowing through us as long as we are in living, vital connection. Do you get this? So when I come to Christ, I'm to be abiding in him. Now, if you look at five verses later in John 15, 10, it says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Whoa, Alan, what are you talking about? We're Baptist. Keeping commandments? That's work. <laughs> I don't do the works that I do to attain my salvation. My salvation is by the grace of God. Through faith and not of works, lest any man should boast, right? I don't do the works that I do to sustain my salvation. Like some of our other friends in town who believe if I don't keep doing this or keep doing that or have unconfessed sin uh, confessed and stay up with it, then I lose my salvation. I don't do the works to attain it. I don't do my works to sustain it. I do the works of God because I want to validate my salvation to the world and to honor him. And because he commands it. When you look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and you see that, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's, that's 8 and 9. Folks, read your verses always in context. Just because somebody's got a cool-looking beard or talks fast, don't believe him. Always, always, always check the preacher out. Always read verses in context. Verse 10 says, What does it say? For you are his workmanship in Christ Jesus, created unto good works, which he has prepared beforehand. If you came to Christ to get your hell insurance, and that's it, folks, you are missing out. The joy is in the life of Christ Jesus that I'm to live every day. And I'm to... I'm I'm to just... (laughs) Live out his life among the, the people in the community. And I want to show you how to do that. So when he says these commandments, what are the commandments he gives us? I'm glad you asked. The first one is to get into his word. Oh, okay. Back up. So he gives us a vertical and there's a horizontal. The vertical is about what? It's our relationship to God. Come on, God, Jesus, the Bible. Come on, God. So if you look at the Ten Commandments, what are the first four commandments about? Vertical. Mm -hmm. 
What are the next six commandments about? Our relationship to men. Yes. If you look at the great commandment in Matthew 22, when the smart mouth lawyer says to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What does Jesus say? To do what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Vertical. And the second is likened to it. To do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And upon these two commandments depend or hang the law and the prophets. So this is basically going to encompass your entire life in the next 10 to 15 minutes. Okay? So hit the next one. We're going to be involved in four different disciplines. The first one is to get in the word. Now, John 8, 32. Everybody in here knows it. Help me quote it. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free or make you free. Great. Look at your verse in Scripture. It doesn't start with a capital letter. Because verse 31 is where the, the thought starts. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. There's our word again, folks. If I do what in the word? If I abide, if I'm in living, vital connection with the word of God. Now, Jan is sick and tired of this example, but I'm going to give it anyway because it's a good one. We had a 700-mile blind date. That's another whole story in itself. She's a gal from the panhandle of Texas, way up there in the panhandle. Drove 700 miles to meet this gal. She was what, 16 back then. Wow, we've been married a long time. Anyway, um, we this is pre-internet pre-cheap long distance, pre-cell phone time. Are you with me on this? So I met this gal, fell madly in love, and uh, we started writing letters to each other. We wrote 600 letters before we got married. She has them all. And they're all hidden from the kids until we die. (laughs) But when I would get those letters when I was in college, uh, what do you think I did with them? Oh, there's another letter from Jana. No, I'd rip that thing open. I'd look at it. She says, oh, I still love you. Great, you know. And I'd take it and I'd stick it in my backpack, go to college, take that thing out in between class, read it. And by the time I got home, I pretty much had it memorized. This is his love letter to you folks. Do you just have a passing acquaintance with this? Or are you abiding in the word of God? This is, folks, where the secrets to all of life are the what the joy and the depth of what it means to walk in christ is here this is an adult book don't make any bones about it this is an adult book it's tough to get into i'm not going to fluff you but it's not impossible you don't have to go to seminary to get in this and mine the riches of this word what you need to do is spend time in it and learn how to study the Word of God. And I would love to come and do a seminar on how to study the Word of God. The fancy Greek word is hermeneutics. The plain word is learn how to study the Word of God. Okay? You need to learn. Have not just a passing acquaintance, but abide in the Word of God. That's how you know what He wants for your life. Which leads me to the second thing. Put it in the, John fifteen seven says, If you abide, there's that word, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Then ask whatever you will and it shall be given you. Now, too many of us want to flip that verse. Did you hear the sequence? We want to go, if I ask for something, I get it. No. Look at, look at it. 
If you abide in me and what? And my words abide in you. Then you ask whatever you will and it shall be given you. Now, if you're wondering why God has laryngitis and hasn't spoken to you lately in prayer, has it ever occurred to you it's because he already told you what to do in this book, you're not doing it, why should he tell you something new in prayer when you're not fulfilling what he's already given you to do? Didn't you do that with your kids? They came to you and they were sick. What's, what's the legal age to drive here? 16, well, legal age, yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. 16. Didn't they bug you like crazy when they were starting with 14, 15? Mama, 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 dad, dad. I want the, you know, They wanted that privilege. And I hope you're enough parent to say, you know, if you haven't done this and this and this, why should I trust you with the second most expensive thing in our family besides our house? And God's the same way, folks. Prayer. Yeah, like Jan and I, we were 700 miles apart. We didn't. We talked to each other once a month. Can you believe this? Once a month. That was it. Because long distance back there was expensive. And I was a poor college student. But when we would talk, it was the nearest thing we could be to being with each other. And it was precious to us. Are you listening to me, folks? When you speak with the Almighty, when you have an intercourse of spirits with Him, is there a joy? Is there a richness? Do you understand the breadth and the depth and the majesty of communicating with your Christ? You know the worst place for you to learn to pray? The absolute worst place to learn to pray? In church. You got it. Amen. Thank you. This is the worst place to learn. Why? Now you have some wonderful deacons and you have some wonderful people and I thank them. for. I'm not criticizing their prayers today, but listen to me. Most prayers that are prayed in church are superfluous. They're surface. They don't get down to the nitty gritty. Sociologists tell us that we open up in inverse proportion to the number of people in a room. You got a thousand people in here. Most of y'all, I know that the number one fear of Americans is not death. It's public speaking. I know that. So for you to get up and even pray in front of a thousand people, you'd be doing good to get your name out. Amen. Okay. (laughs) If we had, if we had maybe 20 people in here, you might start talking about your dog or your truck or your golf game or whatever, or the, you know, newest gun you got. I don't know what, when you get about three or four people around, You might start sharing some personal feelings. And when it's one-on-one, that's when the intimacy occurs. The reason most of us and most of our churches don't know how to pray in depth and in power is because nobody's ever shown us how to do it. You really, really owe it to yourself if you want to grow in Christ to find a prayer warrior and ask them to teach you how to pray. Now, can you do it on your own? Sure. Fabulous books. I just unpacked a bunch of them yesterday by Bounds and Tozer and Andrew Murray and other wonderful saints that have gone before us. Read those books. Read in the Word. Get in prayer yourself. Learn by trial and error. 
But get with another prayer warrior and let them teach you what it means to pray your heart out, to pray and get in touch with the Almighty. I'm telling you, folks, it'll revolutionize you. So this is this, this vertical part. Now, I know he told me the Holy Spirit didn't depart at 12. Give me a few more minutes, okay? Okay, so we start seeing people the way God sees them because we start understanding his heart. And folks, the heart of God is for missions. I'm convinced there's a cross-shaped scar in the heart of God. And when every beat of God's heart, he thinks of you. And he loves you. And he loves others. And I've got to learn if I want to live in community like he is in community, I need to learn to do that same thing. So the first folks I want to learn to love that should be the easiest ones to love, (laughs) should be, is the operative word, are other believers. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you what? That you love one another. Even as I have loved you, so love you one another. By this shall all men know you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Our Lord said in John 17, when he's praying what I would call the true Lord's Prayer, He prayed this most incredible statement in verse 21. He said, Father, I pray that they may be one, even as you and I are one. Which blows my mind. I don't know about you. Do you understand? God's praying for you to have the same degree and intensity of unity that he enjoys with the Father. Are you listening to that? And then he says, in the last part of it, he says, that the world may know that you have sent me. Your unity, your love is the strongest evangelistic witness this church has in Princeton. And I don't know you folks, and I don't know if I quit preaching and started meddling, or if you want to amen me, that's your business. But if this church is not known for its love, if that's not your primary characteristic that people know this church about, and you got some work to do. This verse commands us to love one another even as Christ loved us. And folks, if you read the word like I read it, he gave his all on Calvary for us. He died for your sins. We should do no less for each other in this church. There needs to, First Peter says we should have a fervent love for the brethren. What we're doing right now, this is not community. Are you listening to me? Most of you are in your little spiritual silos in your pew right there, listening to some guy up here preach. You're not interacting with each other. You're not forming community. This community out here, the wider Princeton community, is going to know you by how you live the Christ life during the week, not by what you do in here, because they don't see you in here. They see you out in your neighborhoods. They see whether you gossip about each other or whether you invite each other over to your homes and whether you invite other people in your neighborhood to your homes like you're going to have an opportunity to do for My Hope with Billy Graham in a couple of months. He'll tell you about that later. But if we don't love each other, why in the world should somebody else accept what we have to say about Jesus? If he hasn't impacted our lives to have an uncommon love for each other and live in community, Why should they accept our Jesus? 
which is what over here. John 15, 8 says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Are you getting this? He's giving us the marks of what it means to have a balanced Christian life. Unfortunately, not everyone in the world is a believer. I wish they were. It'd make my job a whole lot easier. But I wish they were, but they're not. So I've got to get out there and I've got to witness to the world. I've got to share Christ with them. (laughs) Now listen to me. This is not rocket science. This is not that hard. My task, my task, as long as he leaves me on this earth, is to reproduce the life of Christ in everybody I meet. Period. I want to make it simple. If they're not a believer, it's called evangelism. Share the good news. If they're a believer, it's called discipleship. Got it? Let me try it one more time. My task until he takes me home is to reproduce the life of Christ in every believer. If they're not a believer, excuse me, every person. If they're not a believer, evangelism. If they are a believer, discipleship. So you should be sharing what God's doing in your life with everybody. It builds up and edifies the believer and it shows the non-believer there's something out there I need. Hallelujah, amen. Now look, folks, we're just about to wrap this up, so stay with me. When you look at your own life and you look at the life of Burke Memorial, do you see balance or do you see imbalance? Many of our churches, they're all about teaching and preaching the word. Man, preach the word, brother. Let them have it. Let them have it. Yeah, let them have it. Preach the word. But it never translates into any action. Some of our churches, I'll not name any denominations, are all about worship. Are all about a vibrant, wild, crazy, get loose, let her rip worship. And I personally am for it. Mm. I mean, I'm probably a closet charismaniac, folks. I mean, just come on, get excited about Jesus. But too many of our churches, that's their imbalance. A lot of them are all about lovey-dovey. Let's all get together. Let's eat meat and eat meat, eat meat and eat meat. You know, just, just get together. And they have these little things we call holy huddles or churches. And they meet and they never get out. And there are other churches, they're all about making decisions. Evangelize, evangelize, evangelize. Preach evangelistic sermons. Preach sermons about salvation. Bang, 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 bang. Get them down front. And don't pay. Are you with me on this? You've got to have a balance to your Christian life. Now, let's wrap this up. Go ahead and kick it. Now, you see these, instead of it just being a static picture, because life is not a portrait, life is a video. Ooh, one of those deep thoughts. You need to look at this as like a nuclear reactor, as our former president used to call it, nuclear, a nuclear reactor, okay? That Christ in my life should cause me to expand and grow in each one of these areas. Folks, First Corinthians 11.1 1 says... Be thou imitators of me, even as I imitate Christ. That verse scares the mess out of me. Because Paul was basically saying, look at my life. It's time for us to grow up and say to somebody, look at my life. I follow Christ. And I'm trying to do my best following him. Come follow me so I can show you how to get closer to him. You with me on this? So you should be growing in all of these areas.
in the word of God. You should be living in the word of God, abiding in his word, and you should be involved in ministry of teaching or preaching. Every one of you in this room. If you think the only conduit for God's truth in this church is this man here, you're in trouble. Not because he's a lousy preacher. I'm sure he's a wonderful preacher. But there's nowhere in Scripture that says that the pastor is the only place where God's truth gets taught. Are you with me on this? This pulpit is not the fulcrum of where truth comes in this church. It should be by what everyone in this church is studying and abiding and discovering in the Word of God. Now, I don't say everyone in here has to be a Sunday school teacher. But everybody in here should find somebody who's not as far along in Christ as you are and share with them. Everybody needs a Paul. Everybody needs a Barnabas. Everybody needs a Timothy. You should have someone in your life who's further along in Christ than you are that mentors you. You should have somebody that walks right alongside with you, who's, who's got your back, who's your bud, who's right where you are spiritually, and y'all are in this together. And you should have somebody in your life that you're responsible for sharing the word of Christ with them. If you have those three relationships in your life, you'll grow as a healthy follower of Christ. So you should get in the word, get in the ministry of teaching and preaching. You should be involved in the ministry of worship and intercession, praying for others, learning what it means to pray for the nations, folks. Don't get up here and just say, oh, God, save the nations. Learn about the unreached people groups. You as a church, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to preach this to you. You as a church in this day and age with the technology we have available to us, you've got an ability to have a global impact for the kingdom like never before. You really do. And I can't wait to start working with these pastors and sharing with them ways that you can impact this world globally. I've seen some of your folks you got out there on the bulletin board, and I'm glad you do that, but there are a lot more things we can do. You need to be praying for them. Um, you need to be involved in a ministry of nurture. Now, I don't know what your role is here in this church, but there's got to be some way that you can strengthen the other believers in this church. There's got to be a way. I mean, folks, it may be, you may be the pie meister of this town. And you make a killer cherry pie. And you just make people smile when you give it to them. Great. See, that is your ministry. Jana's ministry that she's going to have is to the staff wives. When she said that in April at our pastor's meeting when they were kind of looking us over, you should have seen the eyes get big. Because staff wives are some of the most isolated, lonely people I know. And she said, that's going to be her ministry, and I'm all for it. Okay? And then you should have a ministry of evangelism. That does not mean getting some big, huge campaign where we go out on the street down here and try to win all these prostitutes in 30 days or less. That means you need to be involved in sharing Christ on a daily basis. Now, I could just go on and on about this, but I know our time's gone. Where are you in this diagram? Where is this church? If you're not there, how can we get there? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight when we look at the biblical basis for change. Let's bow our heads. If there's someone here that does not know the Christ of which I've spoken today, then by all means, I encourage you to come down we call this an invitation, this time of quiet reflection. This church is going to sing a song. It's not meant to manipulate you. It's just meant to give you time to reflect on what's been said. If you see a need for Christ in your life, to have your sins forgiven, to experience this life I've been talking about, you come down front and take the hand of this 
wonderful man of God and tell him what's on your heart and he'll pray with you about it. If you're looking for a place to invest your life with an authentic community of believers, then I encourage you to come forward and say, Pastor Kevin, I want to join this church in their work. If there's something God's laying on your heart that I haven't mentioned, you come down and talk with Kevin. This is why we call it the invitation. It's an invite to you to come share with this pastor so he can pray with you. I guarantee you he will stay here all afternoon if you need to talk out what it is that is going on in your life with God. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to take these things we've shared in song, in silence, and in sermons. And take them and may we wrestle with them. May your Holy Spirit prompt us, Lord, to make decisions what we're going to do today about becoming abiding in your word, about abiding in prayer, about abiding and loving on our people here, and about sharing your life with others. God, be with us as we make these decisions during this invitation. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.